G'day, welcome to Partakers. This is a series of studies called Luke Looks Back, based in the Gospel of Luke, and is presented to us by Roger Kirby. Over to you, Roger. This is study 19 on Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 32, which we can call the joy of recovery. This chapter contains two marvellous double parables. The first is that of the lost sheep and the lost coin. The second, that of the prodigal son, the loving father, and the unhappy elder brother. We read the first ten verses of chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered round to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There is one obvious problem with this story of the lost sheep. Would a shepherd really leave 99 sheep in wild country? Probably not. But a flock of that many sheep would need more than one shepherd, so he would not be leaving them alone. It is important to note that the one who went searching was the owner, and therefore comparatively rich. Question 1. Sheep are smelly animals. What is suggested by the carrying on the shoulders? and by taking it home and not back to the flock. As so often, Jesus is emphasising that he is interested not just in the smug, posh people who thought they alone mattered, but the ordinary people, the country people, the working people. He is taking the sheep home to show that everybody is welcome in his kingdom. Question 2. What are the similarities and deliberate contrasts that make it reasonable to call these ten verses a double parable rather than two separate parables? Most of the verbal contrasts are obvious, but don't miss the careful balancing of a story about a man with one about a woman. This is typical Luke. All too many parts of the church worldwide 
have not come to terms with the way Jesus treated women on equality with men. The two parables are set in a strictly male world and a strictly female world, yet they carry the same message. They go together. Hence, I call them a double parable. Question 3. How does the double parable answer the mutterings of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that we started off with? What was the main contrast between the world in which Jesus lived and the one he is describing? What does this contrast say to our present day situation? It answers the mutterings by contradicting the ideas on which they were based. The posh people were not interested in the other people. They did not see everybody as their neighbour. We need to look at our own attitudes and those of our church very carefully and very honestly to make sure we are not like those people. The second double parable is perhaps the greatest short story ever told. Chapter 15, verses 11 to the end. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, 
and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is where the idea of the structure of the passage as a reflection that I mentioned earlier becomes really important to understand what Jesus was saying, or rather the importance of what he did not say in the second part of this parable. Both parts of the double parable are reflections. The first goes like this. One, son lost. Two, sin, everything lost. Three, rejection. Four, change of mind. Three, acceptance. Two, repentance. One, son found. So I, I hope you got that. It was son lost, sin, rejection, change, acceptance, repentance, son found. So there was the reflection with the change of mind in the middle. Question four. Is what I've just said correct? I said it started with the son being lost and ended with the son being found. Should it rather be the father's loss and the father's gain? And I might add, if so, might that change the title of the story? A question we will leave until we have looked at all the story. I'm going to leave any suggestion about the answer to that until later. One commentator makes the following frequently overlooked points about that society and culture. A man was expected to give an oral will only when he was dying, as Jacob did in Genesis chapter 48. So the boy was effectively asking his father to die. To break with convention like that would have merited a beating. It was undignified for an elderly man to run. He wouldn't, but this one did. The father's kiss of welcome outside the village and greeting stopped the villagers mocking the despised son as they would naturally have done otherwise as he had to walk through the village to get to his father. A calf was killed, a sheep would have done. The elder son would have been expected to act as the reconciler in the family dispute. Question 5. Was the father properly even-handed to his sons? That is as hard a question to answer as any. I think it will depend on who we are, how we answer that one. I would say doubtful, but it is only a parable. 
The second part is nearly a reflection, and it's the nearly bit that's important. It goes like this. One, the elder brother comes. Two, he's told his brother has arrived. Three, his father attempts reconciliation. Four, he complains. How you treat me? He complains. How you treat him? Three, his father attempts reconciliation. Two, he is again told his brother has arrived. One, oh, there's nothing there. The second part of the parable is incomplete. We do not know how the elder son responded. I'll go through that again and you can pick it up. It's elder brother comes, told brother has arrived, attempted reconciliation, complains, complains, attempted reconciliations, told his brother has arrived, and the gap. That something is missing, that we do not know how the elder son responded, is made very clear by looking at the structure, the reflection. And that leaves us with some major questions to answer. Question 6. Who is the story addressed to? Why is it left open like this? How would they have responded? How would we have responded? At the beginning of the chapter, we were told that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were muttering about Jesus, and he told them these parables. It was clearly left open to make them think how they would have finished the story off and what the implications of their ending for them might be. How would we have responded? I think the only possible answer to that is with difficulty. Question 7. This double parable is almost always called the parable of the prodigal or lost son. But is that the right title? After all, only the first half is about him. What should it be called? The first part should surely be called something like the parable of the forgiving father. The second part might be the parable of the unforgiving brother. But you may have other equally good ideas. One final question remains, which I will try to answer myself. It is this. Do we always hear most about the prodigal son? because the message of the second part of the parable is a lot harder for established Christians to take. I think that is a distinct possibility. It is nice and comfortable for all the Christians listening to hear someone preach about the prodigal son, because it does not affect them. But thinking about the elder brother, the person who is already religious, but fails to show his faith in his attitude to his younger brother, is not so comfortable. Oh yes, younger brother had been a bad lot, and had squandered the inheritance, so there were plenty of good excuses elder brother could give for his attitude. But Jesus left his story deliberately unfinished, to make his listeners, including you and me, wonder about themselves. Thanks, Roger. This series is on every Sunday, but as usual on Partakers, www.partakers.co.uk, there is something new available every day to inspire your Christian life.